Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. It is so good to be with you. My name is Michael Teasley. And again, it is a privilege to just share what God God put on my heart with you. I pray that you'll be blessed. Um, Let's just uh, enter into a word of prayer. God, we so thank you. What a privilege it is to open up your word. God, there's so many people in this world that don't have the freedom that we have. God, to worship you freely, to sing out loud. God, to raise our hands, God. Um, We don't have to meet in a basement. Uh, We don't have to be hidden under uh, a lamppost, but God, here we are. And so, God, we don't want to take that lightly. Also, God, just like the weather, God, you give me chills. And I say thank you um, for the cooler weather this morning. Um, God, thank you so that the anointing of sweat won't flow. Uh, But God, I pray that your anointing would, God, because if they see me, God, they won't be able to see you. God, remove me out of the equation. God, I pray that um, you would be lifted up this morning, that they would see you clearly. God, you are the resurrected king. God, you are the resurrection and the life. God, you are the way maker, the healer, the promise keeper. God, we declare those things this morning to remind our soul, God, that you are high and lifted up. God, you're God all by yourself and you don't need no help. And we say thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, It's good to be with you. Last weekend, I was at a wedding. It was a gorgeous venue um, and it was in Chico, California. Um, Okay, shout out to Chico. Um, Don't necessarily know if I would go again. Anyways, um, but we're praying for you. We're glad you're here. Glad you're here. Amen. Um, It was just reminded me a little too much of, you know, Fresno. Anyways, 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 I digress. Uh, It was a beautiful, it was a beautiful wedding. Uh, The venue was outside at the bride's sister's house. And, um, you know, I had people flying into the Bay Area and we were going to drive up together as a little powwow group. Um, We called ourselves the little hype team. Um, We had met all these people when I did a summer mission in Ghana. And so one of our Ghanaian, not Ghanaian, he's not Ghanaian. He's from Chico. Um, (laughs) He's as white as it can be. Um, Anyways, so he's Chico, but I have friends that are flying from the Midwest and I'm hosting. And my Enneagram 2 is coming out. I want to host well. And so, you know, I'm preparing. I, I'm like looking at the weather. I only texted one of my friends, hey, it, it's going to be cold in the Bay Area, but when we go up to Chico, it's going to be hot, so I need you to prepare for this. Long story short, I don't know if you know, but it poured on uh, last Saturday uh, in Chico, and um, we did not see this coming. Siri kind of lied to us or wasn't as smart as um, Apple says she is. Um, we were not prepared. And so, um, you know, we had to do what we had to do. And there's going to be a picture that's going to pop up here. Um, so it was, it was pouring outside. And we were like, we were kind of praying, like, please don't let this discourage the bride and the groom. They've been, you know, this is their special day. We're going to celebrate them. I mean, they say, you know, rain on a wedding is good luck, whatever that means. Um, but we were, we were, it just, it was a downpour. <laughs> and it seemed, it, it sprinkled, then it rained. And then it poured. By the time the reception came on, oh, this is outside. By the time the reception came uh, and we had the food, food was soggy as can, it was, it, it was, it was soup. I mean, there was no tent over us. Um, and so we're just like the bride at one point, we can see her in tears a little bit. And we're like, oh, we're, 
but what was so encouraging, the minister tried to, you know, kind of encourage them, give them the officiant, uh, tried to encourage them during the ceremony. Um, and the groom said something that I think will stick f- with me for the rest of my life. Um, what you need to know about the groom is he's a generational farmer. Okay, he's a rice farmer in Chico. And he said, oh, I welcome the rain. Because I'm a farmer, a rain is a blessing. And we've been in a dry season and we need the rain. So the fact that it would rain on my wedding as we are about to go into harvest season for for rice, this is a blessing. And it hit me because, because of who he was affected his perspective through the storm. And in the same way, I feel like as Christians, who we are affects how we respond to things. And so there are maybe guests that left because of the rain. They were distracted because they were focused on the water and missed out on the joy of celebration because they were focused on the wrong thing. And so um, just as he was a, um, the key word was generational, his father was a farmer, because of who his father was, affected who he was and therefore affected how he went through storms. The same way the, the God that we serve, our father, determines who we are, which affects how we go through storms. So the, the, what I want to talk about this morning is what are you focused on? Are there any distractions in your life? The title of my message is Fatal Distractions. So um, <clears throat> I want to look at Hebrews 12. Um, <clears throat> I rebuke the enemy. <clears throat> I, this is, <clears throat> okay. Uh, Hebrews 12, uh, chapter two, um, verse, no, why did I say Hebrews 12, chapter two? See, Hebrews chapter 12, verse one through two. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance, the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So this here, we're, we're, we're looking Hebrews, uh, the, not exactly sure who the author is, uh, but the author was writing to um, a uh, Jewish Christian audience, and he wanted to encourage them. They were going through some hard persecution. And so to encourage them, he's using uh, the language of kind of a sporting event, a race, if you will. And Paul uses this language a lot, a race. And really in the Greek, race uh, could be translated as struggle or fight uh, or battle. And so um, when he says, let us run, let us uh, fight, let us struggle with endurance, the race that is set before us. That right there is encouragement to you this morning because the race that you're running has been set. That we have a sovereign God, the the founder and perfecter of our faith. So it's not like I, I love the show Scandal, okay? That is my OG show. Don't I, Maybe I wasn't as saved in college, whatever. You can judge me later. Um, I love the, um, the political dramas. And um, you don't need to know much about Scandal uh, to know that it was going to be drama. And it was about politics, almost too close to real life now, maybe. Um, and um, what, she, what uh, Olivia Pope 
the, the gladiator, um, would do is she's a, she was a, a fixer. They called her the political fixer. Um, she managed um, political storms. Whatever came to her client, she would um, manage for them to get them out of crisis. And sometimes I feel like we view God as a, uh, a PR person who manages storms as they come. But he's not a manager of storms. He's the one who set the race to set the struggle. So he knows not only what you're going to go through, but he's doing it so that your, your faith might be tested. And so he's in control. And so we can rest in the fact that he's a sovereign God, that he knows exactly what tomorrow may hold. So I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know who holds my tomorrow. And that's him who never changes. So in this race, we can also see this language as Paul is talking to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 11 through 12. It says, but as for you, O man of God, flee these things. So there's an intentionality in our running. Pursue some more intentionality. This is the aim of our run. Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. And here it is. Fight. Somebody say fight. The good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life, which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So this race that we're running of faith is a the struggle of faith, if you will, a fight of faith. And um, one of the fights or struggles uh, is the fact that faith is so much more about who God is to you than necessarily what God does for you. We rest, our faith rests in who he is, in the who, not the do. As we can see in Hebrews, um, the text that we just read, it says, looking to Jesus, who is the founder and perfecter of our faith. Uh, and so we rest in the who. And so the struggle really is when we're talking about looking to Jesus, having our focus on Jesus, it really is saying in the Hebrew, the looking to Jesus really is turning away from other things to focus on the right thing, turning away from good things so that we can make the main thing the main thing. Turn to neighbor say, make the main thing the main thing. The main thing got to be the main thing. And so um, this, this word faith um, in the Greek is the word pistis. Uh, and it is the full conviction, the divine persuasion to know that the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of the Bible is the only true and living God. Mostly used to describe one's relationship to God. And so, um, like I said, faith is much more about who God is to you than what God does for you. Uh, faith is trust in the one uh, and the who, not necessarily the what. And what was um, really poignant in, in the story of uh, Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead so Jesus is kicking it with his homeboys in an Airbnb kind of miles away from Lazarus, um, who's sick and shut in. And Mary and Martha send word to Jesus where he's at and says, hey, the one you love, uh, he's sick unto death. And um, Jesus turns and says, once he gets this word, turns to his disciples, he says, 
all right, we're going we gonna to kick it and chill for a couple more days. Um, if I was Lazarus, I was Mary and Martha, I'd be like, what, is, what do you mean you're not going to come? What, what are you, I'm sick. What are you doing? What, I thought we was friends. Um, and so weirdly enough, Jesus says to the disciples, I'm waiting so that your faith must increase. And so after Lazarus does die, and then Jesus makes his way. Um, instead of to, a, you know, to the hospital bed, he makes his way to the funeral possession, um, procession where they're grieving and they do, they go all out in their ceremonies. This is three days after Lazarus has died. Lazarus is now in the tomb. Jesus makes his way there from his Airbnb and talks to Martha. And Martha approaches him and, he, and she says, Jesus, if you had been here, he would not have died. And Jesus says, but even now, if you believe, and he makes the, uh, one of his I am statements, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus does not speak to her grief or to her faith with what he is going to do. He speaks to her faith with who he is. It is relieving to us because we as a church are not married to what God does, but we are married to him as a church to who God is. So we don't get married to methods or we don't get married to certain mediums, but we get, we're married, we're conjoined. God is faithful to us through who he is. And so I can rest in knowing that the situation may not turn out like I want it to or like it should, but because I know he is good, he said that he works all things together for my good to them who love him and are called according to his purpose. So trusting the who gives me deliverance from wrestling with the what or the how. So this faith is a gift of God that we can't muster up that we can't wheel up. This fight of faith is not even how long I can hold on to, to God. And so some of us, I feel like we really picture this fight or struggle of faith as holding on to a pull-up bar. If you can imagine a pull-up bar, maybe we can do this little exercise together. Can you hold your hands up? Hold, yeah, mm-hmm. Now, if I said... The way that you make it into heaven, somebody put your hands down. You, you already, at this, at this rate, y'all all going to hell. Um, if it's based on your arm straight, this ain't going to work. Um, some of you can put your hand down. Uh, let's, uh, we'll, we'll make it in. Oh, look at, come on. They're saved. They're really saved. Look at all these saved people in the room. Um, Sometimes we, we imagine a bar or a standard of righteousness that we have to hold on to to make it to the end, this enduring faith. But really the picture is not about how, how long we can hold on to a bar, but really it's a picture of a father holding on to his child. When a father holds on to their child, um, especially in some dangerous situations, the father might even say, hey, hang on to me, don't let go. But really the child's safety is not based on how long the child can hold on is based on the strength and how long the father holds on. And so I come to tell you this morning that you have a good father who is strong and mighty, who is mighty in battle. And so you can lift up your head because you know you are holding on to the one who is holding you. And so uh, as one of my favorite um, speakers, uh, Jackie Hill Perry will say, um, she, she says, thanks be to God that his hand 
is so much stronger than my legs. When my legs feel like it's gonna buckle under the pressure of expectation, of family, of career, of whatever it might be, thanks be to God that his hand is so much stronger than my legs. It says in Jude, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling, to present you faultless. So he who begun a good work in you will complete it till the day of Jesus Christ. That's Bible, that's encouragement. It is about who is holding on to you, not about how long you hold on to him. Because in, in the push-up um, bar uh, analogy, you, you're more about appeasing a wrathful dictator who has demands. But a father holding on to a child denotes fellowship with the father in which you want to please him out of a place of desire, not a place of duty. And so here, uh, really this fight of faith is knowing that he's the most valuable, he's the most treasured, he's the most satisfying uh, person in the world. So this fight of faith is moving our focus away from things that even may be good, but they're not the main thing. Keep the main thing, the main thing, the main thing is Jesus. And so we have here um, some language of holding, uh, uh, us holding on, this intentionality. He says, run the race with endurance. That's our charge, to run well. Um, he also says um, uh, what Paul was saying to Timothy, uh, take hold of eternal life, right? There's, there's some action, there's some intentionality. And in Hebrews 3 and 14 says, for we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold on to our original confidence firm to the end, holding on. And yet we have this language of God holding on to us, looking to Jesus, who is the founder and the perfecter of our faith. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. So it is not something we muster up, but it's something that's produced in us, God holding on to us. Fear not, for I'm with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold mm, you with my righteous right hand, Isaiah 41 and 10. So we have language of there is, yes, intentionality, that we have a responsibility uh, and um, we have um, uh, the, um, the wherewithal to run well, and it is God who is holding on to us that really matters uh, in the end. So what is the link between seeing Jesus and faith? So Jesus being the founder and the perfecter of our faith, we notice that faith, and you can hear this sometimes, well, faith is blind. No, 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 no. Faith is not blind, it's fixed, it's fixated. Faith is not blind, it's focused, focused on him. And so really it is the fight of faith to turn away from things that are not the main thing to him who sits on the throne. And so we can see this uh, earlier in uh, the book of Hebrews in the previous chapter, chapter 11, Moses in this uh, famous hall of faith, if you will, uh, in chapter 11, verse 24 through 27, it says, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach or persecution of Christ greater than wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. So by faith, 
he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured. Somebody say endured. As seeing him who was invisible. So it was by faith, by Moses focusing on the king of kings, he was not intimidated by the king on earth. He saw that, yes, sin is pleasurable. Sometimes I feel like when they talk about sin at church, they don't really tell you, like, they don't, they're not really real, real, you know, because every time they talk about sin, you know, hell and damnation, all true, all biblical. Um, but over, over here, I'm like, well, what do you do? It's, I mean, I know sin is not good, but it sure tastes good in the moment, right? Uh, y'all laughing, but this is, I just read the Bible, okay? I'm not heretical. I read the Bible. He said um, that the fleeting pleasures of sin, sin may be pleasurable for a season, but it is not your friend. It, it comes to kill, steal, and to destroy. Uh, uh, God said to uh, Cain that uh, sin was crouching at the door to pounce on you. And so sin is not something to play with. At the same time, let's not lie and just say it's not pleasurable. That's where the fight of faith is, where you there, there, it may be pleasurable for a season, but it's not the main thing. It is not your friend. It's not for your success. But he who began a good work is committed to you to see you be fruitful, to see your success. God doesn't just have something good for you. God has something that's best for you because he created you. He knows you. And so we can say no to the smaller things in life for the biggest thing in life, which is him. And so um, we have to be careful to fix our perspective in a way that will not be guided by culture. And so uh, there is going to be a video that's going to be played. Um, and this video is uh, Apollo Robbins. He is a pickpocketer. Uh, and he is kind of a pickpocketer magician. He um, uh, is mastered in the art of misdirection. And so he's bringing somebody, he's doing a TED Talk. He's bringing somebody up to the stage and he tells him, I am going to steal all your valuables. I'm going to steal your money. I'm going to steal your wallet and some other little pins and little trinkets or what have you. And you're not going to even know. He tells him this beforehand. So um, let's look at the clip. This is just something... Uh a half uh, poker chip. Hold out your hand for me. Watch it kind of close. Now, this is a task for you to focus on. Now, you have your money in your front pocket here? Good. I'm not going to actually put my hand in your pocket. I'm not ready for that kind of commitment. One time a guy had a hole in his pocket, and that was rather traumatizing for me. <laughs> I was looking for his wallet, and he gave me his phone number. It was a big miscommunication. So, <laughs> let's do this simply. Squeeze your hand. Squeeze it tight. Do you feel the poker chip in your hand? Would you be surprised if I could take it out of your hand? Say yes. Good. Open your hand. Thank you very much. I'll cheat if you give me a chance. <laughs> Make it harder for me. Just use your hand. Grab my wrist, but squeeze. Squeeze firm. Did you see it go? No. No, it's not here. Open your hand. See, while we're focused on the hand, it's sitting on your shoulder right now. Go ahead and take it off. Now, let's try that again. Hold your hand out flat. Open it up all the way. Put your hand up a little bit higher, but watch it close there, Joe. See, if I did it slowly, it'd be back on your shoulder. <laughs> Joe. We're going to keep doing this till you catch it. You're going to get it eventually. I have faith in you. Squeeze firm. Squeeze. You're human. You're not slow. It's back on your shoulder. You're focused on your hand. That's why you were distracted. While you were watching this, I couldn't quite get your watch off. It was difficult. Yeah. Yet you had something inside your front pocket. Do you remember what it was? Money. Check your pocket. See if it's still there. Is it still there? 
Oh, that's where it was. Go ahead and put it away. We're just shopping. This trick's more about the timing, really. I'm going to try to push it inside your hand. Put your other hand on top for me, would you? It's amazingly obvious now, isn't it? It looks a lot like the watch I was wearing, doesn't it? That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Oh, thanks. But it's only a start. Let's try it again a little bit differently. Hold your hands together. Put your other hand on top. Now, if you're watching this little token, this obviously has become a little target. It's like a red herring. If we watch this kind of close, it looks like it goes away. It's not back on your shoulder. It falls out of the air, lands right back in the hand. Did you see it go? It's funny. We've got a little guy, he's union. He works up there all day. If I did slowly, if it goes straight away, it lands down by your pocket. I believe, is it in this pocket, sir? No, don't reach in your pocket. That's a different show. Uh, sorry. It's that's rather strange. They have shots for that. Can I show them what that is? That's rather bizarre. Is this yours, sir? I have no idea how that works. We'll just send that over there. That's great. I need help with this one. Step over this way for me. Now, don't run away. You had something down by your pants pocket. I was checking mine. I couldn't find everything. But I noticed you had something here. I feel the outside of your pocket for a moment. Down here, I noticed this. Is this something of yours, sir? Is this... I had no idea. That's a shrimp. <laughs> yeah, I'm saving it for later. <laughs> You've entertained all these people in a wonderful way. <laughs> Better than you know. So we'd love to give you this lovely watch as a gift. <laughs> Hopefully it matches his taste. Uh, but also we have a couple of other things, a little bit of cash. Yep. And then we have a few other things. These all belong to you, along with a big round of applause from all your friends. <laughs> Joe, thank you very much. What's really interesting is that he was very focused. He wasn't distracted. Or was he? So I'm a teacher. And one of the things that um, gets on my last nerve is when uh, I'm teaching and we're doing activity and I see this. Scrolling. Oh, it is my personal life endeavor to take as many phones as possible. Um, in a period, I think I made up to five one day, um, where they are just so glued to their phone. And I'm thinking they are just totally distracted. And when we say distracted, usually we mean there's a lack of focus. No, 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 no. They were very focused. They were just focused on the wrong thing. He, in the video, was very focused. He was only focused on what Apollo wanted him to focus on so that he could steal the valuables. So in culture, culture, the enemy will love to use culture to direct your attention to steal those things that are most valuable to you. We're going to see this in this, uh, I have two uh, case studies, if you will, in the Bible, um, where this will show up, where there is this misdirection or attention um, deficit, if you will, where distraction is not the lack of focus, but a distraction is focusing on the wrong thing. And so here we have in uh, Genesis uh, chapter 3, um, where uh, the serpent um, is speaking to Eve about this famous fruit. And so he approaches the woman and he says, did God actually say to you, you should not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees that are in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you won't surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes mm, will be open and it will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw, say saw, 
that the tree was good for food. See, she took her attention off of her relationship with God and started to look at this tree, which is a good thing, but she started to make it the main thing, that it was going to give her what God could not. Namely, she was tricked because she didn't know God's word. God never talked about not touching the tree. I'll read you what he said in the previous chapter. It says, um, the Lord God commanded, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in that day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Did he say anything about touch? When you are confused on what God said, you are easily susceptible to being misdirected, to be distracted. So she did not know what the word of God said. And so she shifted her perspective on the wrong thing. And so for us, really, we have to be careful. Um, that's why it's practical to be in your word every day, to know what God says about who you, who you are and who he is. So your perspective is in the right place. And so here uh, we have that um, even though she chose to see the fruit as, as good and as wise to make her desirable, to make her wise. Um, those things may not necessarily uh, be the bad, a bad thing, right? Those are maybe it was good for the food, it was wise, but yet she was making the, the, the main thing not the main thing. And so really, even good things need boundaries, when God was creating, after each day of creation, he looked over his creation and said, hmm, that's good. And yet we see here, I feel like sometimes the fruit gets a bad rap. Um, the fruit in and of itself wasn't bad. It's when it, she made the fruit the main thing. She really exchanged fellowship with the father to feast on a piece of fruit. And so I wonder how many in our lives where we think that the fruit is good. Maybe it's a boyfriend or a girlfriend. I'm coming for you today. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's a promotion. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's influence. Um, whatever that fruit might be in of itself may not be bad. But when you make that the main thing, you steal from a greater joy because then they lost intimacy with the father because they wanted to feast on a fruit. Even good things need boundaries. You take a beach, you have the elements of the water. How many people love the beach? Yes, we love the beach. Um, you take those same elements, you put that in the house and it's now a natural disaster. What's the difference? The difference is there was, it, it, it lost its boundaries. It's no longer beautiful because it's in a place where it's not supposed to be. In the same way, when you take good things and put it in your life in a place where it's not supposed to be, it becomes not beautiful, it becomes now a natural disaster. Um, I stole that. I heard that from somebody. I know it was good. So whatever. I'm not going to take credit for it. I'm going to be humble. I heard it from somewhere. It wasn't mine. But y'all was like, "Woo, that was good. Um, anyhow. <laughs> so they, be, they were easily susceptible because they did not know who they were. Satan said, you will become like God. Hold up, wait a second. In the first chapter, God said, let us make man in our own image and in our own likeness. They were already like God. So they literally were chasing after something that they already were if they were, knew that they were connected to the Father. So many of you are chasing things that are actually already available to you and bought by the cross in other things that are meant to satisfy. So 
keep the main thing, the main thing. Turn to your neighbor and say, keep the main thing, the main thing. So in this fight of faith, um, sometimes you can get weary. You're like, there's so many things pulling at my attention. Is it worth it? Is it worth it to continue on in this fight of faith? Sometimes we can get like that, no matter how strong um, you are, no matter what kind of household you were raised in. And um, part of, uh, I, so I started running in the pandemic um, and I'm kind of, not in, I lost my streak, but it was day 150. I remember it, uh, 100, y'all catch that? That was real good. 150 days of running. Come on. Yes. Okay. Um, I lost that streak, but it was day 150, and I was in Fresno um, running at the park, and it was hotter than Satan's toenails, my God, today. Um, it was 8 o'clock in the morning, and it was already high 90s, and maybe there's too much information, but we're family, right? Don't, don't be sharing this on social media or whatever, even though it's going to be posted online. Here we go. Um, uh, where as I'm running, I'm now on, I try to do four miles. So on my third mile, I like regurgitated my cliff bar a couple of times. So that extra energy um, in my throat, re-swallowed it, everything good. Also, do not wear cotton shirts when you're running. This area is not your friend when you're wearing a cotton shirt. Let me just put it that way. So after I was over, I said, I want to be done. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm done. I made it this far. And the Lord kind of spoke to me through that. And he was like, don't let the pain of today allow you to forfeit the progress from yesterday. So in the same way, even if it feels like I can't make it anymore, I can't do this anymore, the pain is too much. Thanks be to God that even though where you are today, you are not where you were yesterday. You may want to be a, a different person, but you may not be the person you want to be today. But thanks be to God, you're not the same person you were last week or 10 years ago because God is committed to your success. He that begun a good work in you will complete it to the day of Jesus Christ. So we have a starter and we have a finisher as king, as father. So he's committed to your success. The second um, uh, distraction that I uh, want to end with is fear. The distraction that God is not in control. This is Matthew chapter 14, verse 22 through 35, um, where Jesus walks on the water and he bids Peter to come. And um, the worship team can start coming up, play something spiritual in the background. Hallelujah. So people can get saved because that's how that works. Um, and so uh, Peter and the disciples are on the boat. Jesus um, was away. He was praying and they're in the storm. The waves are going wild. The wind is crazy. And Jesus starts walking on the water and they were like, who is this per, what, what is happening? So let me read and not um, do the Michael Teasley paraphrase. Let's get to the word. So it says, when the evening came, uh, he was there alone, uh, Jesus, but by boat by this time was taking a long way from land, beaten by waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth night of the watch, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. And they said, it was a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart. It is I, do not be afraid. Hmm. So the reason why they thought it was a ghost was because they could not clearly see Jesus. Our natural disposition, because of our sinful nature, 
when things are not clear, we will respond in fear. We will respond in anxiousness or worry when we cannot see Jesus clearly. And so when we cannot see Jesus clearly, this is what I love about the Lord. He calls unto us and gives us his word. So when you're in a season of life and it seems like the storm is raging and you cannot see God clearly, that's why we have his word. He declares who he is. He wasn't, he didn't even say, I am coming. I'm going to help you. He never said what he was going to do. He just declared who he was. He said, it is I, do not be afraid. It was this mere presence that brought peace. And so in here, in our perspective, when we can't see Jesus clearly, we will respond in fear. We will respond in anxiousness and in worry. But, I, I, but as Jesus said, take heart. It is I, do not be afraid. What I love about this is he, he Peter says, mm, I, I, I can't really see you. Let me come near you. When you can't see Jesus, you got to make a beeline to figure out how close can I get to him so I can see him clearly. And he says, um, God, if it's you, bid me come. And on his word, on Jesus's word, Peter starts to walk on the water. He starts to walk on the water. And then it says in the text, but when he saw, somebody say saw, the wind, he was afraid and began to sink and he cried out. That when his, his, his perspective shifted from the solution back to the problem, he then started to drown. What was really interesting to me is that faith in Christ, faith, Peter placing his faith in Christ to walk on the water, did not make the wind stop did not make the waves calm down. It was just as dangerous, but yet he was able to overcome. That's why we're married to a who and not a what. God, you're trying to put God in a box to say, God, if you, the way that you need to deliver me from this storm is that you quiet the storm, that you deliver me. But maybe so he's trying to say, I'm Lord over the storm. Maybe he's calling you to walk on the water. Maybe he's calling you to see that, yes, you're still in a dangerous position, but I'm still God anyhow. And so here in the mist, it was when he shifted his perspective that he started to sink. But thanks be to God that he didn't allow Peter to drown in the midst of his faithlessness. But he, Peter called out and see, God is committed to us. He was quick and the Bible says immediately he saved him. And so even when your faith falters, thanks be to God, it's not about how long I can hold on to God, but how long God can hold on to me. And he's faithful in that. Thanks be to God. So would we, would we bow our head? I like to think of this as a spiritual eye exam. How do you see the Lord in your finances? How do you see the Lord in your relationships with your parents, your siblings, your friends, your coworkers? How do you see the Lord in your sexuality or your singleness? Can you see the Lord clearly in your education? Can you see the Lord clearly in the planning of your future? What about in the areas of your influence or your impact, your job or your career? Maybe there's an area of life that I didn't list, but the, the Spirit of the Lord is speaking to you now. And what I love about the Lord, He doesn't call us unto condemnation. There's now therefore no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Thanks be to God that he does convict us. 
that means there's something greater. And so maybe there's an area in your life that the Spirit of the Lord is just kind of tugging on your heart, being like, hey, I'm not first there. I don't think you see me clearly in this. Can you move that out the way so you can see me? I'm the one you've been looking for. Look to me. If you don't know Jesus in the way that I've been talking about today, you can before you even leave here. And I would love to pray for you. In a moment, I'm going to ask that you would prayerfully lift up your hand if that's you. If you don't know Jesus but want to be in that intimate relationship with him, you want to see him as high and lifted up, you want to see this Jesus clearly, maybe you've heard um, he, heard about him being talked about at church and maybe you have family members that have talked about him and you just have never seen him like they do well guess what he's here and he wants a personal relationship with you if that's you if you want that on the count of three would you just raise your hand I just want to pray with you three two one and secondly Maybe you're here in this room and you're like, I have a relationship with Jesus. I love Jesus. But yeah, there are some areas in my life that I, I'm not quite seeing, um, seeing Jesus clearly. I, I've been focused maybe on the wrong things. Maybe it's careers. Maybe it's success. Maybe it's education. Maybe it's that boyfriend or girlfriend. Maybe it's grades. Maybe it's um, expectations that other people might put on you. I, I don't know what it is, but God does. And so just uh, as, a, as a sign so I can pray with you slash a sign of surrendering, saying, I give that to you, Jesus, so I can see you clearly. Would you lift your hand up? God sees that hand. God, we so thank you, God, that you know us intimately. God, and you care about even the small things of our life. God, you're committed to us. Thank you, God, that you'll never leave us, nor will you forsake us. God, it is by your spirit, God, that you would sanctify us, that you would give us 20-20 vision to see you high and lifted up, to see you as the most valuable thing, to see you as all-satisfying, all-knowing. God, that we, that you are worthy of our trust. God, that um, I, I just feel in this room that maybe some of you are worried to give all of your trust away because control is how you have safety. How has that been going for you? But if you give it over to the Lord, I guarantee your life, will never be the same. God, we so thank you that you're graciously calling us again to see you more clearly. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening and we hope to see you soon.